Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John. The first epistle of John, please. For our reading this evening. first epistle of John, beginning to read at verse 7, pardon me, verse 6, pardon me, John writes, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now the Lord will bless the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name we ask you that you would shut each and every one of us in with your own good self. Speak to our hearts as your children. As believers, and even if there's one or some here tonight that has not yet made their calling on election sure, and have not come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to them and draw them to him. Bless the youth down there in the and they're having their youth meeting, Lord. Bless all who will take part in it, the leaders, the teachers, the helpers. The youth themselves, Lord, those who will sing, those who will play. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name that, Lord, you would speak to the one who would bring the word of God to them. That he might bring a thus and thus, saith the Lord, to young hearts. And, O God, what is preached there, we pray for the Spirit of God to have free course, as well as up in here this evening. So glorify your Son. And glorify his name. Father, tonight we bring especially to you a woman called Bernadette. Lord, she is unsaved and unknowing of your son, yet hanging between death and life. We pray, O God, that someone would reach her in that hospital bed with your saving grace, Lord, and your gospel. Lord, would you help her? Would you save her for time and eternity? We pray, O God, that you'd make a way for Wayne or someone to go up into that room, into that ICU unit. And, O God, that you would help him, Lord, to bring the unsearchable riches of Christ to her and save her soul. Healer of this affliction. And, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we would hear good news of your triumphant grace and mercy through the blood of your son. Again, remember Rebecca, will you touch her? And all who are unwell, Wendy tonight, unwell, and the family there, we're asking you for your blessing to be upon them. Many others, Lord, who can't be with us this evening. So, fathers, we pray now that thy spirit would, Lord, rest upon us. Mantle yourself upon us. We pray, O God, that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it. Amen. Our reading tonight from the first letter of John, verses 6 to 10. Notice we have three if we say. Three if we say. For example, in verse 6, if we say we have fellowship. With him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Then we have, if we walk, in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And then we have, in verse 8, if we confess. If we confess our sins, in other words, if we come into agreement with God, To confess our sins means we are agreeing with the Scripture. To confess our sins means we're coming into unity and oneness with God on how he sees me and you. And hence, to confess our sins, we are coming into unity with the Father to say, yes, I'm a sinner. That's those who are outside of Christ, but that is those who are even believers and still failing in Christ. Notice, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. And the the juxtaposition to he is faithful is that we are unfaithful. And that he alone is the faithful ones. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in this little reading alone, 1 John verses. Chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, we have his light, we have his blood, and we have his cleansing in verse 7. We have his truth, his faithfulness, and his forgiveness in verses 8 and 9. And hence we see the difference between the heart of God and the heart of man. We see the difference between the, the holiness and the righteousness of God and the unrighteousness of man. And hence, if we say, contrary to what he says about us, then you and I are in a bad way. Notice here, forgiveness of sin is with him. Cleansing of all sin is with him. And all of it is based upon solely and only, uniquely, and positively on the blood of his son. The blood of God's son. Notice our reading is in ver- from verses 6 to 10, but our, our text, main text is in verse 7 tonight. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, means we have fellowship with, with God. It's not between you and I. The idea here is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another with God. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, will cleanse us from all sin. Would you say all sin? All sin, not some sin, not a few sins, not most sins, not many sins, not a couple of sins, or the best percentage of sin. But the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. All sin, because he paid it all, and he will cleanse us from all sin. I find it more and more as time goes on that the blood of the Lord Jesus, the preaching of the blood, I find it more and more that it's being preached less and less. Especially if you were to go through some of those online or Christian channels, it's, it's being preached less and less and less. And, uh, and to preach about the blood, you're, you're too antiquated. And as, a, as my pastor used to say, even then, you're, you, he says, I'm like a dinosaur. A dinosaur preacher because we preach about the blood. Yet we can't be cleansed without the blood. We can't be forgiven about without the blood. And hence we, we need to preach the blood. And to me, Churches and preachers and pastors need to get back to the blood. The preaching of the blood. Notice it's strange because if we were to say that we're going to have a, a big night in Bible prophecy, the, the, the Christian heart is stirred. The Christian heart is excited. And the Christian heart wants to come to church and to fill every seat. 
Now, we're blessed here for we have such a good, great turnout, and we're maybe a bit lighter because all of the youth and the leaders are away on down there at the moment. Uh, uh, but generally, we are, we are well filled here, and, and the Lord has blessed us that way. But if we put on something like uh, Armageddon or, or something to do with that, People are so interested. They'll come from near and far to hear of the last days and the last times and the battle of Armageddon and all that happens. If I was to preach on uh, the, the, the society and what it's been doing over the last few years, and I do and I have many a time, it brings people out because they want to know, they want to hear preaching about a new world order and a one world government and it tickles their ears and they come out because it draws them out. And listen, people need to know that and I'm not saying anything against that. But it brings them out, it fills the house. But when you say I'm preaching on the blood, When I'm preaching on the blood of God's Son, well, I've heard it before. I know about the blood. You know, I've heard it before, and the blood seems little to many Christians now. Really, above all things and before all things, when we say we're going to preach about the blood of God's Son, everyone should flock to the place to hear about what Christ has done for us, to never, ever be ashamed of what he's done. To never be afraid to proclaim what he's done. I've heard it all before about the blood, have we? We should be hearing it morning, noon and night about the blood of God's Son. Because it's the blood of the Lamb that has saved my soul and cleansed me from all unrighteousness. Here in 1 John 1 and 7, says the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, the father's son, God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. And the blood of the Lord Jesus, it is, it's personal. It's personal. I'll tell you what else it is. It's precious blood. And I'll tell you what else it is. It's powerful blood. It's personal because it's his blood. Your blood's personal to you, isn't it? If someone came and bloodied your nose, you would go, oh, look, I'm bleeding. It's the first thing you do. I'm bleeding. You cut yourself and you look at it and there's a gash in your hand and the blood comes out. I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. Because it's your personal blood. It's personal to you. It's running out of your veins, coming through your injury, and it's personal to you. I'm bleeding. Look. And how much more is the blood personal to the Father when he looks at the blood of his Son? How much more personal does the Father look at it and take it that sinful men and their sinful hands with their wicked hearts took him and nailed him to a cross? And today, even in that which he calls his body, people go, oh, well, it's about the blood. Don't be singing those songs about the blood. Don't sing the choruses about the blood. Sing about the blessing. Sing about prosperity. Sing about what I have and what I am and how I can be and all of those things. Sing about them. Change the tune. And brothers and sisters, we will always sing about the blood, about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every true Christian, every born again Christian, even as we're saying tonight, born again, there's really been a change in me. Born again, just like Jesus said, born again and all because of Calvary. I'm glad, so glad that I've been born again. Every born-again Christian, every Bible-reading and every Bible-believing Christian should do and will do make much about the blood. If you know you've been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will make much of his blood, for it's personal to him. Lord Jesus, we make much in here. Of your blood. It's personal. It's precious. Peter tells us that we're not redeemed. 
with corruptible things such as silver and gold. After the vain conversation of your fathers, in other words, after the traditions and the lifestyles, it's, it's not in the, the, the givings, the doings, and the temple worship. He says, it's nothing to do with that. You're not redeemed with that, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's precious in value. Yes, it is. It's precious in its uniqueness. There's no blood like this blood. My blood will show maybe white cells and red cells. I don't know how many cells, but it will show it. And when we're ill, we see the the sickness and the the disease it carries. And the blood of my my blood and your blood might be different. You know, the different O positive or O dear or whatever it may be. Whenever you're looking at it, all the blood may be different. And they found out years ago, they found out they tried to mix animal blood with human blood that the human might live. But it was a 15-year-old boy. I think it was 17, maybe 1800s. And they infused him with a sheep's blood thinking, well, blood is blood. But you see, every one of us have a different sort of blood. We have a a different type of blood with different things in our blood and different uh, diseases in our blood or we might have some sort of different infection at times showing in the blood. And your blood may not suit my blood and my blood might not suit your blood unless it's processed properly. We might not be able to take each other's blood. But I can tell you, this blood, the blood of his son, this blood covers all of us. This blood covers all of us. It is precious blood, uniquely precious. It is the blood of the Lamb, the blood of God's precious Son, and it is powerful. This blood can cleanse you from all your sin. This blood will cleanse me from all my sin. Not only sins in the past, but sins in the present And even every sin for the future, the blood of Jesus Christ is that powerful. He's cleansed us from all our sins. Have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in his blood? Will you turn with me, if you will, please, to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. Verse 28. The Lord Jesus has been crucified And John writes, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now take note of this. And the Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. When they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. And one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith there came out blood and water. First of all here, we want you to see all things being accomplished. The law kept, the prophets fulfilled, and now we come to the shedding of his blood. It is finished. Sins were paid in its fullness. And what do we do? There must be the ratification of the covenant through the blood. And hence his blood is shed. And forth came the right blood and water. Look at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be, notice, taken away. The Jews didn't want the Lord Jesus and the other two, didn't want them on the cross because they were preparing. And this Sabbath day was a, a Sabbath, the Sabbath they would have called it, it was in high day. This was a special day. And you know what this is really? This is cancel culture. 
They don't want him on the cross for all to see. Cancel culture today is when someone, they may be someone even famous, they may have been a news reporter, someone who is breaking news and telling truth of what's happening in our land and in our nation. And what do they do? They try to cancel him or her out. They come and they revise history that, that we, as, uh, according to our history and our heritage, that we won't know our history or our heritage. So they pull down the statues and, uh, that have been there to mark great men or women of the past so that we will not remember. It's called cancel culture. And they don't want anyone to remind them, be reminded of the, the Lord Jesus. They don't want anyone to be reminded here of the, the, the Galilean. They don't want anyone to be reminded of the one who hung and bled and died on the cross. For them not to be believers, they surely fight against the Lord here. And is not the way those who don't believe fight against the gospel? Try to cancel culture, the preacher? Take them out of the way. Take her out of the way who will witness for Christ and his glory, who will come with the truth. They say, get them out of here. We don't want anything to do with this man. And so cancel culture is trying to take away our history and our heritage and our inheritance in Christ. They remove Christ from the cross because they want no one to be able to say, I seen the Galilean. And I trust in him. And so they remove him out of the way. And to quicken that, they break the legs. Yes, they would have smashed the femurs, the femur bone with a, with a, a lump hammer, broke it to pieces, and it hastened their death. But Christ had already given up the ghost and hence was fulfilled the prophecy, a bone of him shall not be broken. Right to the T to his death. This place in John 19, this is a moment in history. It's documented and recorded even in secular sources it is said. This is a the, the most pivotal point of all human existence in time and space. When you think of it, one man, one cross, the shedding of one blood. And this is the most pivotal point in time. Listen, they're even trying to do cancel culture on the very basis of his birth and his death. We have B.C. before Christ. A.D. after death or Anno Domini. But they've changed B.C. because they don't want to remind, be reminded that the whole of our culture, the whole of westernized civilization, and then the world after that comes to know that B.C. means this was what happened before Christ, our, or if you want, in our Old Testament. So they change it to B.C.E. Before common error. Or era. And that's what they call it now, BCE, before common era, before this common era that we know, before this common era that we have. But really it's BC, before Christ, and then comes the birth of Christ, God tabernacling among men. And then there is AD, Anno Domini, after death. This is a pivotal point in time and in history that we're reading in John 19. This is so pivotal. It's between life and death, between darkness and light, between heaven and hell. And where we spend eternity pivots on this little scripture. And it says there came forth blood and water. Blood and water. The cross work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the finished work on the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, is so important, is so important that everyone, I mean every Christian, every so-called believer, born-again believer, every preacher, every pastor, every Sunday school teacher should be speaking about the blood of Christ. But now they put it all to the background. 
They speak of different things and smooth things. And after all, how gruesome and how gross. Yet even our very calendar changes. When we mention A.D., after death. Think about it. Even our Western civilization and its calendar is reminded of him. This is a most momentous occasion for here. Hope rises to the hopeless. Light shines in the darkness and grace will overcome the curse of the law for all who will trust in him. That's why we preach the blood We teach the blood. We sing the blood. We speak of the blood. We testify of the blood. We tell of the blood. We make much of the blood. And listen, I don't care what anyone thinks. I am a bloody preacher. I preach the blood of God's Son. It's a slaughterhouse religion, some might say. It's a cruel and a barbaric thing. It's a, it's gory for God. It's a, a gory thing for God to demand such a sacrifice and such a thing as this. Yes, it is. It is gory. You're right. It's horrific. It's horrible. It's terrible. It's all of those things and much more than we could ever deem or imagine. But think of it like this. If it looks and if it seems and is deemed to be so to you and I, what do you think it means to the Father? God the Father. What do you think it means to God the Father? How do you think it looks to God the Father? What price do you think it is to God the Father? For the blood of his son. What is the value and how precious is it to the father? And secondly, how do people think that they will ever enter God's heaven another way or by another method when this is so dear to the father, when it's so precious to him? How would you think you'd ever ever get to God's heaven or enter his glory when this is so precious to the father? And thirdly, how do you think the Father views it when the way which he has provided for sinners to enter his glory is disregarded, is shunned, is rejected, even mocked and scorned and blasphemed when we speak about the blood of God's Son? Even the audacity, the audacity of men and women adding works of any kind to the sacrificial work of our Lord Jesus Christ is them declaring, Jesus, your suffering. Jesus, your agonies. Jesus, your doing. Jesus, your dying is not enough, for I must add to make sure I enter heaven. Denying the power of the blood. Denying the cleansing power of the blood. You're saying, Jesus, you giving your life is good, but not enough. Remember what the Father said of him at the banks of the River Jordan while being baptized of John the Baptist. He said, this is, this one, the Spirit, like a form of a dove, lands upon him, the voice from heaven. The Spirit landing on him, the Lord Jesus, he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You see, sacrificial offerings of bulls and goats and turtle doves and so on, those sacrificial offerings, they appeased, appeased the Father. They were the appeasement of the Father's wrath. They appeased the Father's wrath coming on Israel. 
But when Jesus came, the Lamb of God, the Lamb to finish all lambs, the sacrifice to finish all sacrifices, he didn't say, this is my beloved Son in whom I am appeased. He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He says, his blood is precious to me. His blood is personal to me. And his blood will be powerful before me. The agapetosuius means agapetos is where we get the word agape. It's a love which is called out of the heart. Agape love is the love which is called out of one's heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. So when you set your love on something, it calls the love out of your heart. People have uh, a sport or People have uh, uh, something that they do. People even have their families. And, and it calls the love out of their heart. Because that object, that sport or family, that, that child is so precious. My children, although they're growing up more now, I still see them. I still feel my love for them. It hasn't abated. It hasn't gone away. And it won't change. They just call the love out of my heart. That's a gap I love. A love which is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object which is loved. They are the object and they call a love out of my heart. Now the father looks at the son. And as the spirit rests upon him in the bodily form of a dove, the father speaks and he says, This is my agapitos. This is the one. This is the one who calls a love out of my heart. My unique son. My one and only son. So in the river he says with the spirit landing, pointing him out, see this one here? This is my only begotten. This is my one and only son. And he calls the love out of my heart. Think about it. Jesus calls the love out of the Father's heart. The Father loves him. And he loves his Father. And he calls the love out of his Father's heart. Even being baptized in the river Jordan, upheld by a man's hand while he's put into the dirty river. And the Father speaks in holiness and gloriousness and power. This is the one who calls a love out of my heart. He's my son. The one whom I love. And he hides. On a cross. He hangs on a cross and sheds his blood. Sheds his personal blood. Sheds his precious blood. Sheds his powerful blood. And the father looks and says, this is my." This is the one I love. See him in the river. It's my son. I love him. You see him on the mountaintop when he was transfigured in Matthew 17. And his garments are glistering. His face shines brighter than the sun. And he says, this is my beloved son. It's the exact same. The father saying, I love him. I love him. He's in the river. I love him. And hanging on the cross, he says, I love him. But he pays your debt and mine. And the father turns away from him. The father turns away from him. My God, my God, why has life forsaken me? He cries from the cross. Uh, they say that when the spirit brings us to the cross, when the Spirit brings us under the fountain, when the Holy Spirit brings us and He takes us right beneath that sacrifice, to behold it anew, to see it afresh, and to realize the Father loves Him. Yeah. Father to us. But the Father loved Him so much, He sent Him to die. Because he loved us. Because he loved you. Why did he love me? I don't know. I don't know.
know. Just this week I went to see my friend Ivor. I don't know if he's well enough to watch now or not, but he would have been here and went to see him this week and he's he's in, in hospital and he got home and he's back in hospital and I think he might be home again. And every time Ivor would see me, he would have said to me, tell me something, Pastor. That's where he would have went. Knew him Ivor from Whitewell. Tell me something, Pastor. I knew what was coming on. What is it, Ivor? Does the Lord still love you? That's where they went. Does the Lord still love you? And I said, he said he'll always love me. And Ivor would have went, Glory to God, he loves me. And I went to visit him, he's laying with cancer in his body, in his bed. And he says to me, will you forgive me if I'm a bit irritated because I get sore? And that's not great, Pastor. I says, don't you worry about it, Ivor, you'll be all right. You work away, and if you're irritated, don't worry about me, I'll not be offended. And at one point, he's laying, and I says, Ivor, he says, yes. He says, does the Lord still love you? And he turned around. He was, he was lying almost on his face like this. And he turned around to look at me. And all the strength he rolled over on the one elbow and got himself up. And he went, glory to God. He'll always love me. Even in death throes. And say, when the death to Lies cold on my brow. If ever I have loved thee, my Jesus is nigh. Well, there's nothing like knowing. Yes, I love the prophecy and I love to bring us up to date and up to speed. And I love all of that. And I love to teach about the gifts of the Spirit. And I love all of that. And and I love to apply to the body. And I talked about uh, the the law and the flesh this morning. And no condemnation, no, no separation. I love all of that. But when you bring me around the cross, when you talk about the blood, there's something that happens in me. And I trust it happens in you, believer. Because there's power in the blood. Power in the blood. The one who is the beloved of the Father. The one who calls the love out of the Father's heart. The one who is so personal and precious to the Father. Now hangs upon a rugged cross, a tree, bleeding and dying. Freely giving up his sinless, spotless, impeccable, innocent and holy life for a guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinner like me. The horrific nature of the cruel cross is a reminder. We asked, is it not gory like a slaughterhouse religion? Is it not gory? Does God not be gory in asking for this blood? Well, here's what I've written. The horrific nature of the cruel cross is a reminder of the horrific nature of our sin. You think about that. The horrific nature of the blood shed at Calvary is a reminder of our horrific nature and depravity before God. How can a holy God rescue an unholy man? How can a holy God of glory in heaven rescue a man of earthly frame bound for hell on the broad road to destruction? How can God rescue you and rescue me and still be justified in all his ways? not one of us worthy. Revelation 5 talks about John and he sees the book with seals, the seals on it and none is found even worthy to open the book and to loose the seals are off. Not one in all of heaven was found worthy. Not one. It doesn't say a saint 
was found worthy. It doesn't say Mary was found worthy in heaven. It doesn't say there was anybody found worthy. In fact, there was a great angel cried all over heaven, for there's none worthy. And John starts to weep. And some says to him, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed, and he is worthy. How does he save a wretch like me? He comes himself. He lives a life I cannot live and keeps the law I cannot keep and dies a death I should have died. A great substitute in heaven. The punishment Christ took, the pain Christ suffered, the agony in Christ's body and the spirit he endured should have been yours and mine forever. But he paid a debt he did not owe. When I owed a debt, I could not pay. Listen, I, I don't mean to sound hard, so please, this is me personally, and this is what I think of these movies they're bringing out on the... What do you call that one, Mel Gibson one? What was it? The Passion of Christ. I've never watched it. I've seen various photos and I've sent a wee clip off it, but I won't watch it because it, to me it's idolatrous. Plus there's other things that aren't scriptural and I don't watch it. I, to me it's idolatrous. I won't put a picture up on the wall that's supposed to be the face of Jesus or, or put a statue. It's idolatry. I won't put it up. I won't even try to think of it. I won't watch them. It's idolatrous to me. Plus there's other things, but nevertheless. You see, while I won't watch them, the, the, the barbarity of that passion film, I've seen a little clip of that, just of the, the, the what he looks, portrayed Jesus to look like, or photographs, as you'd say, and it's, it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. It's bar- barbarous. It's, it's, it's terrible. And I believe he was possibly like that even worse. But that wasn't the worst thing, you know, of the crucifixion. They focus all on the physical, the physical, the physical. Do you know what the worst thing about the crucifixion was? His separation from his father and the wrath of his father poured down upon him. Now that's something you and I will never know. We'll never know it. Do you know why we'll never know it? Because he took our place and he paid our debt. And I'm not going to stand at the judgment seat, the great white throne, and I'm not going to be there. You know why? Because I'm so wonderful and so great. No, because I'm so terrible and he's so wonderful. Because he said it is finished. I must press on here. First John 1 and 7. Remember, John's really writing here to believers. To believers. Chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us, My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but, for, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's saying, listen, you're believers. I'm writing to you. So listen, believers, they sin. Thank God for this grace we're on this morning. Thank God for his blood. But he says, I, I'm writing on to you to tell you that if any of us sin, we have an advocate. It's a legal term. We've got a barrister in heaven. I don't know if you've ever been to court or not. I don't know if you've ever been to court and stood in the dock or not. I have a few times in my past. And the, say the judge is here. You're looking at the judge and they're asking you questions. You keep turning around to God and say, face the judge. But you're asking me the question. You're facing the judge. Don't know what way to look. You ask you a question. You go, well, I'm going to answer it. Face the judge and tell the judge. Can you imagine if it was like that in heaven? Can you imagine what it would be like at the great white throne judgment? When it's read out on the, the multitudinous of our sins. 
of the sinner before God and facing Almighty God in the person of Christ. And here someone will read out or whatever way it will be read out. And every time I turn the seed to try to give my answer, don't look here. Face the Lord. Face Him. Imagine the Father there looking. Face Him. We'll stand before Him. Don't you look here, face him. There'll be no turning away from him in that day. Now listen, brothers and sisters. Listen, friends. According to this, we have an advocate with the Father. And when I or you or whoever would be unsaved, if you're unsaved there and you, you go to turn, you don't know what to do. You can't get away from this. But see, when you're saved, you'll not be there. And even now, the devil will come. Look at Ken Davidson. Look at him. Look what he said. Look what he done. Look at the way he was. Look at what he did or he didn't do. In fact, I get the blame for everything that half of it isn't me. The father would look. And our advocate will step forward between the father and me. I barrister will step forward. There for me. The Savior stands. He shows his wounds. He spreads his hands. He says, Father, I died for him and he's trusting in me. The Father will look with righteous judgment toward me through the medium of Christ. And as the devil may try, as it were, to condemn me, The Father will look through Christ and see not me, but see his Son. And the Father will say, sin? What sin? I see no sin in him. See, he loves Jesus that much. I'm in Christ. If you're saved, you're in Christ. And he sees us as Christ. Are you safe tonight? Are you saved? You can't get any more personal than the blood that came out from the side of our Lord. First John 1 and 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here's what I've written. I wouldn't like to be that soldier who pierced his side. I would like to be those who stood and gnashed at him with their teeth. I would like to be those who gambled for his garments. I would like to be those Jewish leaders who made false accusations against him. I would like to be the Jewish crowd who cried for his death and his crucifixion. And I would like to be Pontius Pilate. But here's what I finished with. On this part, I wouldn't like to be you if you don't know him. So let me finish with this. I have too much material, but I think this is worth the while in finishing with. Go with me to the book of Hebrews, please. Book of Hebrews. Chapter 10, please. Let's try run down the chapter, if you will. The verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, Boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say, his flesh. Take note of this. We enter the holy place 
by the blood of Jesus and there is a new and living way consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh I thought about this thought about it I've mentioned some of this before but I thought more on it on Thursday in 2 Samuel we'll not turn to it but you can mark it down and read it when you go home in 2 Samuel you'll read about David wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem and they put it on a new cart and Uzzah touches it and the Lord smites him because it's meant to be carried on the priest's shoulders through a staff and through the rings on this covenant. And, and David was flippantly dealing with the things of God here. David was just taking it for granted. Well, we'll just bring it back to Jerusalem and there we'll have uh, the ark of God back with us. For You see, that represented the presence of God. He says to Moses, I will meet you there. And hence you can, you can read about this. But after Uzzah, uh, the Lord had smote him and he died, well, David was angry. David had no reason to be angry because David... Had have done it right, he would have came the right way, he would have been blessed. So there's a man and he's called, some pronounce his name Obadidim, or you can pronounce it Obedidim. Obedidim. And they put it in this man's house. And the Lord starts to bless Obedidim's house. And everybody's noticing the blessing of God for the Ark of the Covenant is in his house. And all of a sudden, Obed-Edom, he starts to serve and to do different things for the Lord that he'd never done before. And everything he'd done, the Lord was blessing him. So David decides, I must bring the Ark back to Jerusalem and I must bring it back right. And hence in 2 Samuel 6, we're told that he brings it back and it's being carried towards Jerusalem. I want you to get this because this links us into uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 20. By a new and living way which he hath consecrated, as the Lord Jesus has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. And hence we're told in 2 Samuel 6 that before the priests come, they take six paces. One, two, three, four, five, six. And they slay an animal in fact, it tells us, and others. So at least one animal, some say it's only the first six and they walk through that and that does them. But most people think, no, this was an ongoing act until they brought it to Jerusalem. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slew the animals. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slew an animals. One, two, three, four, five, six. Slew the animals. One, two, three, four, five. The whole way from Obadiah's house right to Jerusalem. Now, here's the thing. I tried to look up what an oxen, because it says he slew oxen and other animals, but even an oxen. Try to look up the blood volume of an oxen. And I'm told an oxen holds up to, or a cow or an oxen, that sort of animal holds up to about 10 gallons of blood in its veins. Maybe some farmer will be able to tell me better after that, but that's what I read. Does anybody know? No? Okay. 10 gallons. I searched through quite a bit to try and find out. 10 gallons of blood in, say, a cow or an oxen's veins. Now you think of this. From Obedidim's house to Zion where the Ark of the Covenant was being brought, it's reckoned about, it was about 15 kilometers or just over nine miles. Hey, think about this. Think about this. this. I'm going to show you the power of the blood of the Son of God. For example, it has been reckoned up that they would have done 30,000 steps. You know where you count your steps now when you're out walking, don't you? And your watch counts it, you've done five or 10,000 steps or whatever. Well, you'd have had that watch then. You'd have maybe counted 30,000 steps. Every six, one, two, three, four, five, six, ten gallons of blood. And if it was a sheep, 
as well because it's oxen as well as other animals. If it was a sheep, a sheep holds about 1.5 gallons of blood in its veins. There's at least 11 gallons. At least. One, two, three, four, five, six, eleven gallons. We'll keep it to ten to keep it easy. One, two, three, the whole way. Thirty thousand pieces worth. The place is full of blood. The place is covered in blood. Blood flowing down the streets. There wasn't a place where you couldn't have walked down the streets. There was blood, 10 gallons, then 10 gallons, then 10 gallons, then 10 gallons, and then 10 gallons. 10 gallons, then 10 gallons. Every six paces for at least 30,000 paces. For nine miles to 10 miles worth. I tried to work it out. It would work out about 5,000 sacrifices. 5,000 sacrifices. And there they walk with the staves of the Ark of the Covenant on each side. And the Ark of the Covenant here. And they're walking through the blood. And the blood's on their sandals. And the blood covers their feet. And the blood's up their ankles. And the blood's round their shins and over their legs. And they walk on in the blood. And it's flicking up all over the place. Next thing it's round the skirts of their garments. And the blood's coming up all around them. There's thousands of gallons of blood. They bring the Ark of the Covenant to Zion. I worked it out that if it's one ox, you ready? 50,000 gallons of blood for one ox every six paces. That's what it covered. 50,000 gallons. If it was two oxes then, it was 100,000 gallons of blood. They're covered in blood. Blood everywhere. Oh, it's gory. Oh, those poor animals. It's terrible. It's gory. And you know, when you get all the animal activists out and all, and they'll be going mad and telling us they, 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 they eat corn burgers instead of meat and all this sort of stuff. You know, but there was the blood. There was the blood. Gory. It was horrific. It was covered in red. It reminds Israel of their sin. What caused the sacrifice? Israel, your sin. What caused this barbarity? Israel, your sin. What caused all this blood and gore and mess? Israel, it was your sin. That's what caused it. Now, when we get to Hebrews 10 and verse 20, let's read verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Notice, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us. You know what this gives the idea of? Gives the idea that we enter in to the presence of the Father as though it's a road filled with blood. And it is. It's as though the blood of Jesus was shed right this very moment. It's as though the blood of Jesus was as fresh this very moment. The blood of Jesus was poured out this very moment. It will never be poured out again. It was poured out once and for all. But as if the blood of God's Son was shed this very moment in the sight of God. At this time, 20 past 7. Forgot the clocks and hard fast and here's that 8. 20 past 7. On Sunday the 26th of February. 2023, standing behind the sacred desk. It's as though the blood of Jesus Christ was shed right this moment in the eyes of the Father. You know why? He says, this is my beloved. This is the one who calls a love out of my heart. And he shed his blood for you. And people are turning the blood away. But as believers, we come up this road that's stained with blood. And it's as if the Blood has just shed this moment. There's still power in the blood of the Lamb. Isn't that wonderful? Thirty 
without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Listen to what John Owen said. There is no death of sin without the death of Christ. Puritan John Owen said, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. And you and I could not be free from our guilt of sin if it had not been for the death of Christ. I believe Jesus saves. Do you believe it? 